If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. Joe Biden may claim he is an ally of the light, but when it comes to his agenda, Biden wants to keep us completely in the dark. It's the end of summer, and the Democrats and the Republicans have wrapped up their nominating conventions. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will face off against Donald Trump and Mike Pence this fall. At the conventions, a few speakers rolled out the work product of their respective oppo research teams. Most of it seemed kind of recycled. Here's former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg speaking on night four of the Democratic convention. Trump says we should vote for him because he's a great businessman. Really? He drove his companies into bankruptcy six times, always leaving behind customers and contractors who were cheated and swindled and stopped doing business with him. Well, this time... All and here's former Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi speaking on the second night of the Republican convention. Now let's talk about China. Fact. Joe Biden flew to China on Air Force Two with Hunter along for the ride. They said he was just there as a family member, but we know that's untrue. In Beijing, Hunter didn't just go sightseeing. He had meetings with his Chinese bank partners. Hunter even arranged for his dad to meet with one of the partners. Ten days later, there was some counter-programming by the Republicans during the Democratic convention. A few hours before Joe Biden gave his acceptance speech, Donald Trump spoke in Pennsylvania. At stake in this election is the survival of our nation. It's true. Because we're dealing with crazy people on the other side. They've gone totally stone-cold crazy. He unloaded on Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris. Joe Biden and Kamala, she's another beauty, also strongly support the deadly sanctuary cities that have been so bad for you and everybody else. In what a New York Times report described as, quote, an echo of the Willie Horton episode from the 1988 presidential campaign, Trump zeroed in on one case Harris handled when she was district attorney of San Francisco. As district attorney in San Francisco, Kamala put a drug-dealing illegal alien into a job and jobs program instead of into prison. Four months later, the illegal alien robbed a 29-year-old woman, mowed her down with an SUV, fracturing her skull and ruining her life. We believe our country should be a sanctuary for law-abiding Americans, not for criminal aliens. In this episode of Oppofile, we'll look at two conventions in which opposition research set the stage for the general election battle. Should public school teachers be required to lead our children in the Pledge of Allegiance? My opponent says no, and I say yes. All hell broke loose after the announcement. There are next door neighbors, and you can actually see Russia from land here in Alaska. From Last 5% Media, I'm Joseph Radota, and this is Oppofile. You know, some say this isn't an election about ideology, that it's an election about competence. 
The truth is, this election is about the beliefs we share, the values that we honor, and the principles that we hold dear. That's George H.W. Bush accepting the Republican nomination at the GOP convention in New Orleans in 1988. I was at that convention. I watched the speech on television in the basement of the Superdome. In walked Bush's campaign chairman, Jim Baker, and he sat down next to me. Baker wanted to see how it looked to Americans watching on television. According to a recent story in the New York Times by Adam Nagurney, The 1988 presidential campaign presents, quote, a cautionary tale for Democrats this year. That's because George Bush was 17 points down in the polls against his Democratic rival, Michael Dukakis. Bush's road to victory was paved with opposition research. I'm the one who says a drug dealer who is responsible for the death of a policeman should be subject to capital punishment. Should society be allowed to impose the death penalty on those who commit crimes of extraordinary cruelty and violence? My opponent says no, but I say yes. As we covered in an earlier episode of Oppo File, Bush's research director summarized the Oppo research on Michael Dukakis on a single 3x5 index card. He included Dukakis's opposition to the death penalty, his membership in the ACLU, and the now infamous case of a state prisoner named William Horton. I'm the one who believes it is a scandal to give a weekend furlough to a hardened first-degree killer who hasn't even served enough time to be eligible for parole. A week after the convention, a CBS New York Times survey for the first time showed Bush leading Dukakis, 46% to 40%. Bush got a bounce out of his convention. His running mate, however, got a pounding. 12, 16 hours a day, I was on the phone with reporters, constantly shooting down one story or another. I mean, I was the... This is Jeff Nesbitt. He's had a distinguished career as an author and as a top executive at the National Science Foundation and other federal agencies. In 1988, Jeff was the press secretary for the junior senator from Indiana, Dan Quayle. A young man born in the middle of this century and from the middle of America, the next vice president of the United States, Senator Dan Quayle of Indiana. Jeff was at the Republican National Convention when Bush announced Dan Quayle would be his running mate. And right away, Jeff knew they were in trouble. So Quayle gets picked. He gets unveiled in New Orleans. And the true story about that is that it was such a surprise. None of the Bush campaign team were prepared. They hadn't done any opposition research other than the vetting process on Quayle. They didn't even have his basic bio. He had to Bush's campaign manager, Lee Atwater, stepped in. But that was Lee Atwater saying, man, we better get up to speed fast on this guy. And so he made me sit down in his hotel suite and he surrounded me with 30 political staff. And I sat in Lee's room for three hours and they picked my brain and they just fired a million questions at me. They, they created an Apple file on Dan Quayle. The Bush team was caught off guard. And in hindsight, the result was predictable. The rollout was a mess. This is Gary Maloney. He's one of the most respected opposition researchers in American politics. He's an author with a doctorate in political philosophy from Oxford. And he's handled opposition research for Republican candidates at all levels of government, 
including the White House and races in 44 states. The way the 1988 convention in New Orleans worked was they had the platform hearings and the usual committee hoopla and also some decisions to be made in the week before the convention. And the VP was supposed to be announced on Wednesday of the convention week. Well, the nominee decided that he was going to call an audible and that he was going to name his VP a day early. The vice president, for whatever reason, decided, nope, nope, I had enough of this. I'm going to name my guy on Tuesday, not on Wednesday. And finally, the announcement came from the paddlewheel steamer that it was Quail. And Quail sort of bounded up, looking like a young boy, and gave this odd first impression, very exuberant, but kind of unschooled. Here's Dan Quayle on that paddle wheel. George Bush's America believes and has the commitment to the American family that is so important to us. So there then was a rush on our own team to find out who the hell he was and what potential negatives we would have to defend. And so in a trailer behind the riverfront complex, we were getting helicopter faxes and we were thumbing through books like the Almanac of American Politics and Politics in America, trying to get information on Dan Quayle, trying to get information on his voting record, where he differed from President Reagan, what were his big legislative accomplishments, all this stuff. It was a night of absolute terror and frenzied activity trying to get our own team up to speed. And it was kind of a dash. And then the dash became panic. The press, with perhaps some help from Democratic opposition researchers, focused on Quayle's qualifications, on a golf trip he took with a lobbyist named Paula Parkinson, and whether Quayle's family pulled strings to get him into the National Guard in 1969 at the height of the Vietnam War. NBC News correspondent Connie Chung asked a young George W. Bush, who was working for his father's presidential campaign, about the controversy. Bush would later himself face questions about his own National Guard service. Now, the problem, though, would be is if indeed he made several phone calls or some people made phone calls on his behalf to get him into the National Guard, did that ever, I mean, did that happen to you? Were no, you... I don't think so, but uh, in those days, people were going into the service all different branches, and people, if you want to go in the National Guard, I guess sometimes people made calls. I don't see anything wrong with the kind. As a matter of fact, I'm glad he served his country. And serving in the National Guard is serving in the military. They probably should have called the National Guard up in those days. Maybe we'd have done better in Vietnam. Looking back on that moment, Gary Maloney, the opposition researcher, recalls that the vetting process had been conducted in near total secrecy by lawyers and accountants. This meant that the campaign wasn't prepared for the attacks that were coming. The secrecy part of this thing had ended up being defeating. In other words, the vetting guy should have done something to prepare everybody. There should have been a package. Instead, we researchers had to scramble to try and fill the gap. There's a difference between what you do in the Senate, what you do in the House, even what you do as a governor or a mayor. Here's Jeff Nesbitt again. When you hit the presidential spotlight, it is white hot. 
and every single word is scrutinized. That's what happened to Dan Quayle. He never got I asked Jeff what lessons could be learned from the botched rollout of Dan Quayle in 88. If you pick a senator or a governor, don't go talk to national political reporters. Don't go talk to national level folks. You better go back to the state and run everything to the ground in the state because there are enemies everywhere, you know, from the other party who are going to try to take you out. It's a lesson Republicans would forget. Whatever vetting the McCain campaign did, they seem not to have done it in Alaska. Nobody asked you anything no, about no. it. My name is Shauna Daly, and uh, I was the research director at the DNC and, and at American Bridge, uh, as well as the deputy research director on President Barack Obama's uh, first campaign. In 2005, Shauna Daly joined the research department at the Democratic National Committee. It wasn't a very auspicious beginning. We were very literally in the basement. In Hollywood, sometimes you have to start in the mailroom. In Washington, sometimes you start in the basement. At one point, you know, some insects like crawled through the wall and, and they were they were about to swarm. Another time there was a, an oil spill in the basement and, and everybody got sick from the fumes. The chairman of the DNC, former Vermont Governor Howard Dean, pledged to fight elections in all 50 states. Dean was very interested in helping every state. Everybody in the building was tasked with trying to be as proactive as possible with helping all the races. Shauna looked over the list of races that were targets that year, and one campaign caught her eye. So there was this governor's race in Alaska, and it was very below the radar. Alaska. But frankly, uh, I thought this was going to be a great way for me to go to Alaska. So Daly got to work. She began compiling opposition research on the Republican candidate for governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin. At the time, Palin was the mayor of Wasilla, a town with a population of roughly 5,000. You know, I went to Wasilla City Hall and I, you know, went to all these places because, again, a lot of it was in hard copy and really needed to be retrieved in Alaska. The Oppo book on Palin runs 63 pages. It details her socially conservative views and her lack of experience. Palin's Not Ready for Prime Time reads the title of one chapter. There was also a mention of a trip Palin took to Costco to meet an author named Ivana Trump. Palin was excited to meet the wife of the prominent New York real estate developer, she told a reporter at the time, because Alaska was, quote, desperate for any semblance of glamour and culture. Palin won that race and became the ninth governor of the state of Alaska. Shauna Daly left the basement of the Democratic National Committee. She took a job as one of the first seven staffers on the presidential campaign of United States Senator Barack Obama. With profound gratitude and great humility, I accept your nomination for presidency of the United States. I went to the Democratic convention and thoroughly enjoyed myself. And the morning after the last day of the convention is when McCain announced Palin to kind of step on the stories of the Democratic convention. I'm Kelly Wallace at CBS News headquarters in New York. Republican Senator John McCain has just introduced his choice for vice president. It is Alaska Governor Sarah Palin, a very surprising choice. 
Um, and so I woke up and I was not fully at my wits and the TV was on and they said, oh, they had chosen Sarah Palin. And I was like, I must be the only Democrat in the country who has ever done real research on Sarah Palin. From her hotel room in Denver, Daly frantically reached out to colleagues, sharing what she knew about Palin and pointing them to the oppo research book she had left behind in the files of the Democratic National Committee. But I didn't have my laptop, I didn't have my phone, so I was using like the hotel supplies to try to call people because everybody in the, you know, in the political world was saying, who is this woman? Both in the Democratic Party, the press corps, nobody had any idea who Sarah Palin was. So I was frantically trying to reach people there and say, I know where this research is. Ever since, Republican operatives have pointed fingers at each other over the vetting of Sarah Palin. McCain lawyer A.B. Kovahaus, who was in charge of vetting for the McCain campaign, compressed eight weeks of investigation into one. CBS News correspondent John Blackstone interviewed Alaska State Senate President Lyda Green. People from both parties who know Palin best are among the most surprised by her selection. Whatever vetting the McCain campaign did, they seem not to have done it in Alaska. Nobody asked you anything no, about no. it. You're the president of the state senate. That's right. That's Republican. Right. Nobody Absolutely. asked you. Did they talk to any Republicans in Alaska? I can't find anyone they've talked to. Now, they may have been doing some stealth investigating or interviewing, but I've not heard of anyone that was talked to. No prominent Republicans were asked, what do you think? No, not, not that I know of. The vetting reportedly did not discover Sarah Palin took taxpayer-funded trips to Washington, D.C. to lobby for congressional earmarks for the town of Wasilla, or that she had asked a TV interviewer in the summer of 2008, prior to her selection, what is it exactly that the VP does every day? It's been a long time coming, but tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, Change has come to America. A little bit earlier this evening, uh, I received uh, an extraordinarily gracious call from Senator McCain. Senator McCain Obama won the popular vote over John McCain, but took the Electoral College in a landslide, defeating McCain in several hard-fought battleground states. Obama was Political scientists at Stanford University concluded that Sarah Palin cost the Republican ticket as many as two million votes. That was 1.6 percentage points, not enough to change the election outcome, but still significant. They called it the Palin effect. The real criticism of Palin was a lot of stuff that you wouldn't have been able to put on paper at the time. You know, just that her complete unpreparedness to play on the national level. After the 2008 presidential campaign, Shauna Daly went back to the Democratic National Committee. This time as director of research. Shauna had many challenges to face, including how to digitize the paper files and videotapes of the DNC. The internet was about to transform every aspect of American politics, including oppo research. But this time, at least, she didn't have to worry about insects crawling around her desk. I was no longer in the basement. <laughs> the research department had moved up to the second floor. In the next episode of Oppofile, taking all the information you do have and making sure it gets into the hands of the people who actually need it. We'll look at how opposition research gets packaged and distributed. Why do some campaigns wait for just the right moment? 
And why do others dump it all at once? If you included everything on Donald Trump, uh, it would be unusable. Join us for the next episode of Oppofile. Oppofile is a production of Last 5% Media. Our production manager is Caitlin Bruce. Our sound engineer is Jeremy Damas. Our researchers are Adam Melian and Lisa Wang. Andrew Greenwood is our designer. And our website is by Edgar Guerra. We'd like to thank Workhouse Media, Studio To Be, Chris George, Gary Maloney, Cassandra Pye, District Productive, R Street Recording, and our listeners and guests. For more information on this podcast, check out our website at www.opofile.com or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Opofile. If you enjoyed this episode of Opofile, please subscribe and leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now and share Opofile with your friends. Thanks for listening and please join us on the next episode of Opofile.